And welcome back to No More Conversations. I'm excited to introduce to you today two of my line brothers from the Zai Beta chapter, Spring 08 Troy University, of the prestigious, oldest, and coldest fraternity to ever walk this earth, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. We got my deuce, Benny Lewis, and my quad, Freddie Pierce. Appreciate you guys joining. Thank you, sir. Hey, no problem, no problem, no problem, Mike Conley. <laughs> yes, and yes, the tail, the tail, Freddie Pierce, <laughs> the tail. Um, but I mean, like, yeah, so I mean, how you guys doing uh, with, it, with the quarantine and COVID and everything? Well, over here in Alabama, you know, let, let's just be honest, man. Uh, it's going rampant. It's, it's out of control over here. Um, Actually, today we just shut down school for the remainder of uh, the semester. For the first semester, we had 17 cases since Monday. You know, we just came back from the Thanksgiving break, uh, five in one day. So mm. we, we shut down. Uh, kids will have to be um, taught remotely. And educators, teachers, will, uh, they'll still have to come to the school in order to um, teach remotely, virtually. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's kind of like we're in that panic now. Well, not panic, but well, yeah, I, I guess you can say it's a panic. You know, were you, parents were you guys calling. in full remote? Were you guys in full remote or were you like 50-50? Okay, so we had three options. We had the traditional option where, you know, hey, look, if you want to come, come. Uh, you'll go to school Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. We had the remote option, option B, where you do the same thing. You just do it through the uh, the, the camera with the teacher, like a Zoom or a Google Meet. And then we had option C, where kids just totally worked on a, a, a learning management platform, uh, like an online curriculum that the school district purchased. So uh, that's what it was, but we've, we've now made the decision to move every student, uh, with the exception of those option C students, to option B virtually. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of where we are in, in Alabama, um, dealing with it. Uh, so yeah. So I mean, yeah. like, how are you, how are you handling it all? Because I mean, you have to go into the school, be around all of these kids, be around other other teachers and administrators. So you as an administrator, like, how does this affect you? Are you worried about it? Or are you just following protocol and life goes on as normal? Like, how do you feel about this entire situation for yourself and your family? Well, you know, one, one thing that I did, I had to stop trying to see if decisions were made off of, of political um, backgrounds or, or for political reasons and focus on ensuring that we're making decisions based on the data, you know, because no, no one can argue with you against the numbers. And, and when you put numbers in front of people, that makes your decision uh, to choose wh whichever way you want to go, bring them all back or, or send them all home 50-50. That makes your decision a whole lot better and easier to live with. So uh mentally now that you 
I, I do look at it all through the data. What, what are the numbers? What are the numbers looking like in our community, in our county? Um, I'm okay with what it, with the decisions that we're making now. Um, so that that's how I'm dealing with it, and and being able to go home knowing that we did make the right choice by by sending the kids home. Got it. Got it. Freddie, I think, I think you mentioned a while ago that your kids are uh, doing school from home. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Got it. So how yeah, does your so, family feel about it? No, we're good with it. I think my wife, she has to get accustomed to the fact that she has to kind of be that secondary teacher. Right. So like a lot of parents aren't necessarily don't feel qualified to be their, their kids teacher. Right. And the school days are a lot more limited than they normally are. So let's say like she goes to school for four or five hours. Now it's maybe like two and a half, right? So we're trying to fill that space in between with like, let's say online classes like ABC Mouse or something like that. So that therefore she can get that full like experience. Um, we take them out, try to let them play in the yard and stuff like that so that they can get some kind of PE. But, you know, my daughter, she she said it the other day to where she was like, um, I miss my friends. Right. Mm. So you can kind of you can tell that she's realizing that something's happening and she can see them on the video, but it's not real to her. Right. She can tell that it's something different um, as a whole. So I know San Diego or Southern California, we're like our situation is not getting any better so we've been locked down we on the curfew right now there's there's conversation that the curfew is going to get even tighter like the rules and regulations are going to get tighter um but i think with the way me and my wife were kind of living our life COVID didn't hit us the same way it hit everybody else right so i've been working remotely for five six years so i didn't necessarily feel the day-to-day -day. and i actually my business got more progressive because there was a lot of people in my industry that weren't used to working from home. It's hard, right? It's a, it's a lot of distractions. It's a lot of micromanaging that occurs with the upper management, right? Cause they're trying to make sure that they can justify your roles. So for, for me, I didn't feel that dramatic of a change, but I'm also an introvert, right? So <laughs> I don't go out anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You were just, you were in your comfort zone. <laughs> I was already in my comfort zone, you know? Um, there was not much moving I was already doing previous to COVID, so. In that respect, I mean, because I think the entire world is kind of waiting on a vaccine and there's a lot of uncertainty around this vaccine with it being rushed through these trials. I actually spoke to a Swedish friend the other day who informed me about uh, an issue with vaccines that I had no uh, knowledge of. Apparently back when the H1N1 virus was really big, uh, a lot of people got that vaccine, but a lot of the, the long-term effects they're finding are that it causes narcolepsy. And so that's mm -hmm. a long, the long-term effect that they didn't know about when they developed that vaccine. So if they do, well, they are developing vaccines and when they are released and available to us, is that something that you guys are willing to give to your family? No. That was quick. That was quick. Freddie says, that was quick. So no. I've, I've thought about it. I, I mean, you know, having, having kids and realizing like when we were going through school, right, you had to have a shot, you had to have your shots before you can even go. Yep. And yep. with that, there is a concern that they're going to require this, this vaccine to be taken in order to re-enter the schools. Um, it's up in the air. Like they haven't determined it, but I'm like, if you guys are proving that you can do it remotely and you can do it physically, 
like in person, then allow the parents who aren't necessarily comfortable with the first round of vaccines to be able to still be remote until we see that the vaccine actually works, right? Because the speed in which they accelerated the vaccine process, I think it's amazing, right? But I also think that it's built for emergency purposes, right? It's built for those cases in which you got people who are first responders who need a level of protection. But like for my daughter, my son, like I'm not trying to risk it yet because we don't know the long-term damage. There's more kids with autism than ever before. There's so many questions about what vaccines and what things do to the kids that, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to inject them with something that's going to, you know, that that's not well researched yet per se. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I completely feel the same way. Like I don't have uh, contingencies, you know, such as, such as kids or, or that I have to worry about whether or not they get a vaccine taken. So it's a little easier for me to make that decision just for myself. And I'm pretty much okay with social distancing away from family, you know, my elderly members of my family. So it's not as big of a deal for me, but I mean, Benny, what about you? I mean, cause you're in the school system. So that might be something that's required for you to get in, in order to stay in your line of service. It won't be required for me, but, <laughs> but, 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 but seriously, guys, Monday, a kid walked in my office and, you know, he uh, had to go to his truck for something. He, you know, starts up a conversation, you know, how, how you been, Mr. How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, everything's good, man. Oh man, Mr. Lewis, what do you think about these, these, uh, these COVID cases, you know, growing up in the city? Uh, you know, it, it's, I knew it was bound to happen, you know, Thanksgiving, you know, just got out. He was like, yeah, I heard they're, they're having a vaccine, though. Uh, my mom, she works in the health field. Um, but I'm telling you, I'm not getting it. And, you know, we kind of laughed about it or whatever. And uh, some, some other conversation happened. The bottom, the bottom line was he, he mentioned this line. He said, I think they're going to make it a requirement. And I immediately shut him down because I was like, man, they're, they're, they won't make you get a required vaccination for COVID. And he was like, we already have requirements. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it. And I was do. like, oh, shit, we 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 do. We are we are already mandated to take certain vaccines or to be vaccinated or whatever um, against certain uh uh, diseases or whatever, viruses. And I was like, wow, this this kid brought something to me that I didn't even think about. What if they made it, what if they mandated it? Like you you have to have this vaccine in order to re-enter the schools. And, and, and I was mind blown by it. I, I started rethinking this whole era of a pandemic differently. You know, because I'm seriously, I'm looking at it like, you know, man, eventually, you know, we'll we'll get through it, and and I, and I do believe we will. But the way that it has changed people's lives, the way that it has changed how we interact with each with each other, even to the standpoint of impacting our own physical bodies in the long run, that was something that I, that I never even sat back and, and fully grasped. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think an article just came out where they're discussing that the coronavirus has been here way before January, right? Um, they went to I believe the blood bank, 
right? They went to the blood bank and they tested some of the blood that was that was sent in like in December with traces of antibodies for the coronavirus. Antibodies is after you've had wow. it, right? So wow. I think there the conversation about requiring it is due to, and, I, and again, we don't know if it's going to be required, right? But it's the aspect yeah. of like, when you're in your position, you, you have to give parents a level of security that the people that their kids are dealing with are at least protected from getting certain things yep. right as a whole so that therefore when you send your kids your kid like polio all those things that measles things that we used to have to get shots yep. for you don't want to send your yep. your vulnerable kid off to them and they're getting these these viruses because the the teachers or whatever don't you know what i'm saying so again i think the the requirements is only becoming because we don't know enough about the coronavirus like we're still learning about it so they're probably just going to say hey everybody take it until we figure out what's going on and that's why I'm personally kind of just staying in the house and I'm just going to wait. And then the, 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 that's the logical version of me, right? The irrational version of me, I've watched too many scary movies and, and, and zombies, right? So like, you, like you get what I'm saying? Like it's the vaccine that creates the killer of the, the zombies. So like, I'm not saying we're going through it, but 2020 has created that kind of thought process in your head to where you're just like, I mean, we're going to go there. We might as well go all the way might there. Might as well go all the way there. Yeah. 2020 <laughs> has been a beast, like in a number of ways. But I'm trying to sound rational on your podcast, but I'm just like zombies are definitely at the top of my top of my list, bro. No, I get it. Given everything that 2020 has thrown at us, you gotta consider a zombie type scenario, you know, and how it alters people with vaccines and things like that. Uh, how it might alter people's behavior. But um, so I mean, on that note, with 2020 being as crazy as it has been, there's also been a lot of uh, uh, racial friction in the country. So. I mean, we all, us three, we we've went to school at Troy University, Troy, Alabama, in the deep, deep South. Yep. Uh, so how was the experience for you uh, going to school at Troy? Oh, I didn't expect that one. I thought you were going to say, like, right now. So at no, Troy? No, at Troy, man. I want to know about our experience. I was, you, I'm going to be blunt. All right. I... Growing up in Montgomery, I was so numb and trained to process racism that I was blind to it. I maneuvered through Troy and never noticed it, right? After the fact, I could see how there were certain things that were occurring, but I kind of stayed in my own lane because when I went to school, I was told, keep your head down, get through it, get out, right? You miss all the college stuff. Like I, I joined a fraternity, I did all that. But I think when you're born and raised in the South, you create a survival mechanism in which you're able to navigate racism without necessarily realizing that it's racism. And you might look back later and be like, and that was racist, but you don't think about it because you're programmed to survive. You're programmed to like, don't make a scene, don't try to, you know, um, don't try to put yourself in harm's way or try to um, correct this person on their articulation, which is wrong, right? You're like, nah, it is what it is. Let me go and get my back home, right? <laughs> that was kind of how it was. So I never wreck, I never saw the racism simply because of the fact that I think I was numb to it. And on that note, since you never saw it because you were numb, do you think that was, do you think being numb to the racism was a benefit or a detriment? 
I think it was a benefit, right? I was able to get what I need to get done, done, and I didn't let it distract me from getting to my goals, right? Um, with everything that's, say, happening right now, I saw how the numbness made me seem out of touch with the reality, right? So when, when all the things that kind of occurred in society with, like, George Floyd and stuff like that, we're so used to that. We're so used to racism. We're so like, that's how they act. Of course, he's not going to get convicted. Of course, you know what I'm saying? And when, you, when you're like in Cali and you're talking in a way of like accepting the defeat, accepting the fact that this is how it's always been. And the only reason why you're just now realizing is because you were able to grow up on the West Coast and not in the South, right? Your mindset is like, take your wins where you can get them. Right. Like, and it, and it, it was uncomfortable in my house because my wife, she, she wasn't born and raised in, in the South. So the hurt came off as like, not, not a level of ignorance, but a level of like, you're out of touch. Right. She was like, I can't believe that you're not outraged. But again, it's, it's programming. It's accepting it. And you, you, you know, and, and the thing that pushed me was like, I have kids right? There was a moment in which um, my daughter, I was, my wife is Dominican, right? And my, and I'm black, of course. <laughs> and her being Dominican comes with so much culture. It comes with so much like the Dominican music, the food, the island. It's a lot of stuff that, that she can refer to as hers. But like when I was having a conversation during the George Floyd aspect and he's like how are you going to tell your daughter and I was like I got to explain to my daughter what it means to be black because she's half black and I got to let her know that being black means overcoming struggle being tougher than everybody else in the room you know what I'm saying like it, it was difficult for me to accept the fact that I wasn't necessarily in a position to tell her that she should be excited being black because just know that it means that your survival is based not on necessarily being Dominican, but because you're black, that's probably why you're going to survive. That's probably why you're going to be able to overcome stuff that the average person probably couldn't overcome. Right. I tried to make it empowering, like, but you have to hit them with the negative, you know, like our, our culture is considered like loud and, and, and inappropriate. And when you're being black is when you're being loud, right. It's not when you're being intelligent, right. When your hair is nappy, they're going to call you black, but when your hair is curly, they're going to call you Dominican, right? So all the negative aspects you're going to face in life might be because you're black. And my numbness hit me during that time because my wife brought it to my attention that you never understood that because of the fact that you're ignoring the issue, it's not fixing the issue. And there's too many of you guys that are ignoring it and just okay with it, right? Versus at some point you're going to have to put your foot down and say this has to stop and the people from the south who have experienced it the most are the ones that are most unfortunately willing to accept it so how do you with your wife bringing that to your attention of being more aware of the situation and um allowing yourself to feel that experience rather than being numb to it how has the awareness of racism changed how you move through the world? It, it allows me to move a little bit more aware, right? So I'm not necessarily looking at the, 
I'm not looking at it from a perspective of like trying to find racism, right? I'm navigating it in a way now of saying, okay, I'm in the tech industry. There's not enough blacks in the tech space. There's not enough. I'm still the only African-American in mostly every business I work in, right? Silicon Valley, you name it. I'm always the only one. And so I'm utilizing my connections to be able to bring up more people through. So therefore there's more people that can see what it's like on the other side. Like I, I, it's going to be weird to say this, but I told, I told my wife this, I said, I don't know if people are as racist as we think they are, or if they're selfish, self-preservation, right? I think we're blending the lines between a crappy person and a racist person. Racist people you can spot from a mile away, right? But there's a thin line between a person that's just selfish and they see that they're losing their opportunities due to somebody else or something else, right? And it's coming off as racist. I don't want to confuse the two and just become this person that's just like, that's racist, that's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be extra woke. I'm like, no, waking up realizes that there's, there's, there's levels to this and it's, it's programmed in us, right? And, 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 you know, if I use the example of like a dog, right? Like we've been trained our entire life that dogs are pets. But if one day they came up and they got rights, they can get jobs, they can do stuff. We're gonna unconsciously start acting weird around them because we've never had to compete with dogs for our ability to eat, get a job or do that. That's how they looked at us back in the day. They didn't look at us as humans, they looked at us as animals. And so when you gotta give up your job to an animal and your mindset, that's, that's something that's programmed in you. Right. And it's going to take generations to get that out. Like, like they said, it's like, oh, we've been doing this for like 400 years and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, but the, the dude that was extra racist is still alive. Right. Jim Crow wasn't that long ago. Martin right. Luther King wasn't nah, that long ago. You're talking about in the 50s. Nah. Right. So one, you're sitting one, there and you're one like. One life. One generation. Yeah. And you're it's sitting there and you're just like. Ago, yeah. Yeah, and you're like, yo, and we're supposed to just assume that because they said you have equal rights, you're good. That is good. No, we still have the survival tactic in us. We're like, we know how to maneuver in this. Regardless if you give it to us or not, we can maneuver. I want to teach my daughter how to maneuver. Like, that's my main thing. Like, it has nothing to do with racism. I need her to learn how to maneuver through the environment in whichever environment she faces, period. Right. So that brings up two questions that I'll pose after in, in, in a second here, because I completely agree. I think um, from a, a survival aspect, the black community has been programmed to default to racism anytime they have a negative experience rather than uh, default rather than defaulting to just, oh, that's a crappy person. Because there, I think they're, as, as you said, it's like maybe people are just, maybe white, some white people are more selfish than they are racist. But our default programming is racism, which forces us to act differently how we move in white spaces. Right. Uh, take, the, take the stereotypical black guy at a company, right? What was the, always the rule in the South? One too many. The rule is one too many. So when that, okay. when that guy is one too in many management black. position... Yeah. So we already in, in, in my, when my mom and my dad grew up, they would always say whichever black person was in power, 
that person was controlled by the system and they would tame everybody else, right? But that person would come off as racist, the, the black person, because it would be the person that they would be so intimidated by you getting their job, right? So they wouldn't want you to get promoted. They wouldn't want you to, to be highlighted because there's only one job available for your kind, right? And if you, if you let them shine, right, you're going to lose your ability to feed your family. That is programming. That is training, bro. Oh, okay. I got, man, okay, I got, I got three follow-up questions in a minute. Because I want to get Benny in here. <laughs> Benny, I, I got, okay, hold on. Let me, let me make these notes here because this is, this, is this is good information. Benny, okay, so I'd like to hear about your experience as well. Like going to college in Troy, Alabama, and, and how, was, how did you process everything? What do you think about it? Benny, you there? Benny Lewis. Benny Lewis. I don't even think he knows that we can't hear him. We can't hear him. You heard him typing, I think. I heard him typing. Can he not hear us? Uh, keep going, though. Um. All right, so I'll just I'll just follow up with you until Benny taps back in. Okay, can you guys hear me now? Uh, there we go. There we go. Hey, welcome okay. back, Benny, yeah, to the yeah. show. Just had to change the headphones. The other ones were, were dying out. Cool. Um, so yeah, the uh, follow up question for you before I jump to the next my next uh, thoughts here. Uh-huh. What was as far as like race is concerned? What was your experience like growing up uh, in Alabama and going to school at Troy University? Believe it or not, I never had a racial encounter until I was 16, uh, and it was it was by a, a police officer. Um, and even then, you know, you, you you're kind of like you you want to be that tough guy still, and you're 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 like, you know, he's not gonna approach me that way. He's not gonna talk to me that way, and. and uh, Really, it was nothing but a, a seatbelt traffic stop. Um, so that's really all it was. Uh, and, and, you know, he, you could tell in, in his language in the way he would use the term, the term boy and, uh, you know, just all that type of stuff that it, it there was a, a sense of um, bigot in that, in that individual. So that was my very first one at the age of 16. Uh, and, and while in Greenville, I never experienced any other racial issues. Um, while at Troy, same, same thing. I, I never experienced any anything racial. Uh, uh, I, I did see inequities. Um, for, for example, one that I still I feel very strongly about and, and people talk about um, well, the, you, you, it's a numbers game, and um, white frater, white fraternities are able to bring in uh, 50, 60 guys, to, and out of those 60, uh, 20 will be able to live in the fraternity house and, um, you know, go from there uh, to pay it off, to pay it off. 
the blacks, well, the, the, the numbers just aren't there. Well, the, the money isn't there. And even at that age of, of uh, 2021, um, I was, I, I thought, well, who says it has to be on that grand of a scale? Can, can you give me four, four bedroom with a, a, a lobby meeting common space? Can you give me that? I, uh, I know it, it, it probably won't be your, your 18 or your eight bedroom house, but can you at least give me a four bedroom house? Can you at least give me a spot on campus? Uh, those were always my, my thoughts. If the university plans on being around for hundreds of years in the future, we can't continue to pay on this for a long period of time. It, it has to be um, paid off by, by this certain amount. I, I just, I looked at that as issues or, or, or variables that they wanted to put in place just so um, fraternities and sororities in the NPHC wouldn't have an opportunity to have a common space or a centralized location to go on campus. So as far as Troy, that was the only thing that I saw as uh, an inequity against um, Blacks as a whole, uh, more so than just me personally. Right. And, and, I, and outside of that, you know, that was about it. So it was just mostly a systemic type of oppression that you experienced, Detroit. Yes. Okay. Yes. So for the most part, that you you felt like you could move un unhindered throughout campus, you know, as an individual without any real racial issues at, at Troy University in the city of Troy. Yeah, I did. I yeah. did. I, I feel the same way. I didn't have. Uh, I didn't really have any instances in where I felt like I, someone was not allowing me to do something at Troy because I was a black person. I moved pretty freely. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and yeah, for the most part, it was, it was pretty enjoyable for me, but I reflecting on it, there were, you know, some microaggressions that you kind of see, uh, you know, if you're walking okay. towards, you know, uh, a white person on you know on the sidewalk in the evening and they move towards the other side of the sidewalk or just just little little minor things and it doesn't necessarily yeah, mean that yeah. it was because I'm black it might be just because they're yeah. of a, a big burly strong guy like myself you know <laughs> I, I, I get it I can be intimidating I can be intimidating um, glow in the dark Mike <laughs> did you say I glow in the dark yeah in the winter months, around <laughs> from November to about February, I do glow in the dark. I get my my tan around March. <laughs> uh, so I mean, let me let me let me touch on this because both of you guys are parents, and this is fascinating. Because okay. I mean, you have to you. This is something you have to think about. How do you teach your kids about how to move through the world as as, as black children? So like, how do you how do you go about okay. that? How do you have that conversation? with your child about what they need to think about and at what age do you do it? Now? I, I'll, uh, okay, you go ahead, Fred. No, you go ahead, bro. I'll say, I'll, I'll say with, with my kid, he's three. Um, 
And, and it's so fascinating because you think back to, what was I this? Was I like this when I was three? Was I this advanced? And the answer was probably no. Um, he has uh, YouTube. He has all the, these gadgets. And he's absorbing information at a rate that that's, it's phenomenal to me. Uh, and, and I say all that to say, I teach him uh, right now just, just a simple basic things. I, I haven't touched on the fact that, you know, son, you're, you're black. Um, there are conversations where I say, son, you're a boy, <laughs> you know, you and daddy are, are, are men, you and daddy are boys. I have, but as far as you're, you're black and what it means to have, um, you know, my skin tone, uh, and, and you know, the, the black skin tone, or whatever. I, I haven't had those conversations yet, but don't think that I haven't thought about how those conversations are going to take place uh, because I, I do just the same way I, I have those conversations that, you know, you and daddy are boys, you and daddy are men, you know, uh, I also think about how those conversations of you're black, you're a black man, how those conversations will go. Mm -hmm. And you say your son's three, correct? Yes, he's Got three it. right now. Yep. Got it. Uh, and Freddie, your kids are close to three and four. Three and four. Okay. Yeah, three and four. So are yeah, you I having mean, those I, conversations now? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not having the conversation about race. Right. Like as in letting my, my daughter know she's black or like I've I've had the conversation in my head. Right. Like, okay. how mm -hmm. would I have it? Because I know like women, women deal with the conversation, women versus men, they deal with the conversation differently. Right. So like as a young black man, there's a certain fear with our safety in when we go out and about on our own. Right. <clears throat> but my yes. daughter, she's going to be approached based on just how kinky her hair is. Right. And I think my wife, she dealt with that when she was going through school. So I think I'm going to let her teach okay. my daughter how to handle that. It's not my necessarily my place to jump into how she talks to my daughter um, because it's hers. <laughs> but um, when it comes down to um, my approach is I think, I just want to train. I, I want to teach them from the jump of how to be a decent person. Right. Like I think in the grand scheme of things, like trying to, trying to teach them about race is going to be counterproductive. Right. Versus I need to put another decent human being in the world to offset them. Right. So I okay. teach my daughter how to treat people with respect, how to, you know, um, oh, that person's having a bad day. Just let them go. Leave, like, let them go. Leave them alone. Like, that kid doesn't want to play with you. It's okay. You're a good person. Just maybe they're just not feeling it today, right? It's, it's, it's characteristics that aren't necessarily race-related, but it's things that will help them overcome racial situations, potentially. Fred, what, what, what about the... Um, I don't mean to cut you off, but I, you I thought about this. What about the... I don't, I don't know if she plays with Barbie dolls or anything like that, but do you all like intentionally buy colored toys like a white Barbie or, or black Barbie? Like, hey, because I'm, I'm thinking that would go into a racial conversation. Yeah, I mean, the only time we ran across that is Frozen, like the the long white hair. But that I mean, that's not stereotypical to any average person. Right. But like. Okay. 
we're lucky enough to grow up in a time where there's a lot of dolls that are biracial that look like her, okay. look like them. Okay. But also, I mean, we have our own, like her, her dad and her uncle are artists. So like they, they see themselves, we've created little cartoons and little coloring books of them so they can see themselves. Right. And stuff like okay. that. So, I mean, my kids have a very unique situation and, and, and again, I had a very unique situation growing up in the South as well. I'm, I'm, I'm light skinned and everybody knows, (laughs) everybody knows that that's a different experience than being dark skinned. So I've been able to maneuver very easily. I'm not as intimidating. Yeah. I'm not as intimidating to people as um, other people may be. And my kids are light skinned as well. You know what I'm saying? Like, they've picked up the exact same visual. So I don't think my kids are going to have the same struggles that other people have, right? But they're still going to be faced with answering like, I mean, just dealing with a-holes, right? And and just knowing the difference between like, don't let that, don't let that moment ruin your life, right? Because like, think about it. The thing that allowed me to maneuver is my talent, my ability to offer some something of value, right? So it allows me to like get a job. It yes. allows me to to do it. And and when you're yes. when you're you're black in the south, like you learn a trait, you learn a skill, you survive with your skill. My I can teach my kids skills so that they can survive, right? That's not going to okay. be their hurdle. Their hurdle is okay. going to be you're you're in a level of privilege. Are you going to let that one moment of awkwardness make you make a bad decision? I just need to teach my kids not about racism, but how to make good decisions in awkward situations. Does that make sense? Okay. Mm, that sounds, uh, okay. that's a tall order right there. Cause I mean, that's something that a lot of adults struggle with, you know, how do you make uh, a good decision in, uh, in an awkward situation? But I mean, it's awesome on to that others. you're, have you have them do on to you but 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 listen listen to this though guys I, I, take I'll it be to honest. the bible all right all <laughs> but, right but listen but listen but listen i i will say this too don't not pretty don't you think that that's still avoiding the conversation though it 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 is and it isn't right so let me say like let's say you're at work and i tell you i think your coworker is talking about you right you're going to start looking, you're going to unconsciously start disliking that person. You're going to automatically start looking at them with a left eye, even though you know, you don't know factually that they've been talking about you behind your back. You allow that rumor, that, that moment of acknowledgement from whatever angle you choose, right? To be your focus, to where you distance yourself from that person. You choose not to talk to that person. You're waiting for that person to say something to you to make you snap, snap off, right? I don't want my daughter going out looking for racism, I'm not saying the conversation will never happen. She, I think she'll be in a position where she will talk to us about it. There'll be enough stuff, I guarantee, that's going to happen on news in which I'm going to have to discuss it. But I don't want her as a five-year-old pointing to another five-year-old saying you're racist because she doesn't even know what that means yet. And I think most people in America doesn't know what that means because racism is, is a, a high level of hatred. Like, it is a, it is a deep-rooted, aggressive hatred for a certain race beyond anything that we can explain right that person could literally be what i was saying to mike that person could literally be intimidated by you they're not racist they like the toy that you had you're five 
that girl isn't that that boy that she likes is giving you attention. She's not racist. She's a girl. She's a human being. But when you run across a racist person growing up in the South, there's nothing you can say to them. There's nothing you can you can bring up because their their mindset is on. I don't like you regardless of who you are. I've decided that without meeting you. She's not going to face that on a regular basis. She's going to face a-holes on a regular basis. Jealous girls, you know, douchey guys, selfish people, right? I want that purse. I want this. I want that. I don't know if I need to just bring that to her door at five, okay. Okay. six, seven. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I got you. Because, I mean, cause you, you know, the, the, the culture is, and, and I, I saw a story where a parent did, they, they, or like, you know, I, I had to tell my daughter because of her skin color, um, she could be, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, they, they had to video the daughter in, in tears. And I was like, man, you know, dude, dude, what's that conversation for me going to be like? But I, I see what you're talking about, too. Like, you, it, it can be a conversation if she brings it to you. And I, I think you can kind of give it in bits and pieces she's going to be aware of it because her dad is black her 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 grandmother lives in alabama she goes and visits right she's it's just going to naturally i think naturally occur right but again when i was raised they they were so fearful my dad and my mom was so fearful because we were young black men not only were Mm -hmm. we young black men we were young light-skinned black men Right. And I'm going to keep bringing that up because there is a very deep conversation around colorism in which young, light skinned men in the South not only have to worry about whether or not they're considered black and they deal with that aspect of like racism, but then also competing with their own kind, being in the house versus outside. Right. Like like the girls wanting to be with light skinned dudes because they want to have light skinned babies because they want to not go through the same struggles. Right. You you get it. And so there's a, like, how can you have that, that conversation with your son, right? If your son's not going through that, that blended element, right? So you wouldn't just tell him what it's like to be light skinned. You like, it's no, it's no conversation there. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to tell him like, be careful of this situation that only occurs in the South. Because again, when I moved out to California, California is a bubble, bro. Like this is real life. It's not real life. Like when I, when I came out here, you look and you talk to people and you realize this is utopia in a certain sense. Like you don't deal with what people on the East coast and in the South deal with. Like the weather's always perfect. There's like California is so blended. You could, if your mindset is to be racist and you like, look, look, look at them. They're like, from a different country they can't even speak english like they don't even know what you're talking about and you're automatically categorizing them as white (laughs) like look at the way they're looking at me it's like they're tourists bro they're looking at you because they're looking at everybody that way hey hey pause on that pause on that so y'all y'all know uh, uh, i gotta share my stuff so i'm from alabama man i i I now have have an opportunity um to you know be able to to venture to different parts of the state and you know basically more so than I've had when I was uh younger you know um growing up college whatever 
So so post college, you know, I've been able to to travel and visit more. And I, I promise you, I, I I did. I had that situation where this person looked at white as snow. But when she started talking, <laughs> I was like, "What? That that's not English, you know? That that's exactly. not English. Where is she from? You know?" Yep. So yeah, I, I got you. And, and people, um, you know, she basically what I'm saying was what what confirming or or co-signing what, what you were saying, yeah. man. You, yeah, you you just never. They are they're from a different country, uh, right? You know, and so we're sitting here thinking, "Oh, white, white, black, white, black." That's all it is. Um, especially if you come from the south, you know that. That's all you white, see, black, but, Mexican, Asian. That's all you fit in one yeah, of those four yeah. categories. So, so yeah, I, I got you, man. I just had to shut up a little bit. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right, and I think it goes back to the point about how much energy the black community spends on colors black white and i mean if you challenge anyone on that they'll tell you it's like well we've been conditioned this way it's like perhaps perhaps but it's like the moment that you realize that you've been conditioned in the wrong way is the moment that you need to accept responsibility for deconditioning yourself and find the proper programming because we spend a lot of energy on black white what race is this are they racist but it i think the majority of the time it could be maybe this is just a person having a bad day or this person's a jerk to or everyone, or maybe they're fear. even European. But or it's, fear. Or, or literally like, just I, fear. Yeah. Like the, like the power is within you, but you're still trying to put yourself no. beneath this person it because be you think they're stereotypes, racist. Stereotypes, bro. It could be literally stereotypes. You come from somewhere else. You've never been in this environment any, anywhere. Like, again, you go to the South. Like, out here, I'm a massive human being, like, to them. Like, oh, like, I'm big. In you the are south, big, you're two, you're six five. Yeah, two, uh, bro, you, you're yeah. Big, you go, you big, bro, you six five. No, 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 Wait, big. wait. You when you go in the south, well, when you go in the south, bro, it's athletes, it is linebackers, it's cornbread eating, mule carrying, yeah. like yeah. built diesels, right? Like you telling me I that you it. never saw another dude that's that's built like a mule, and you tried to size him up because you're like, I can't get in a fight with this dude, I lose. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you look at it from that perspective from survival, right? So again, I'm not, I don't know if it's my training or any of that, but again, the older I get, the more I realize how flawed human beings are. We're scared. A lot of times there's so many unknowns. There's so many fears in life. And with the internet, you can't trust anything. You can't even tell if a stereotype is right or wrong. And the bad part is when you prove a stereotype right, right? Because that's the one that they put out there. They always show the stereotype that makes the one scenario when you're like, please don't show us looking like that. And that's what shows up. And now you have to justify it because there is an example out there of that. So when you get somebody from overseas, when you get all these other people that are coming in and they have this stereotype, it's because the media and from a social media standpoint, we put that out there enough for them to at least fear it, right? For it to be some level of concern. I'm a dad. I am terrified on a regular basis, right? And I didn't know I would be this scared until I had something to lose. I never looked at anybody from a level of threat until I had kids. You get married, you consider what can I do wrong? What can happen? You, you, you worry about a car accident. You worry about your kids getting snatched up by somebody. You look online to see the pedophiles in the area. You never did that as a kid. 
You never even considered that. But now that you have something to lose, you have something that somebody can take away, you become aggressive. You become more stereotypical, right? You start using those stereotypes to protect yourself from the environment in which you're unfamiliar with. And when you become in the middle class, you're really unfamiliar with that space that you're in because there's not too many people that look like you in it. So you play off the stereotypes just for survival. And that's the unfortunate part about it. It's a human flaw. Guaranteed. I, I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's a survival tactic. When you say playoff stereotypes, you mean that people, when they, when they see these stereotypes, what we do is we perpetuate them and we yes. embody them to some degree? To a certain level, okay. right? All right, I see a fishy looking dude walking at night by himself with a trench coat. I'm walking on the other side of the street. Racist if you think I am. I don't care, right? Um, if if, yeah. if yeah. I'm sitting there and the the bodega or the the corner store looks very suspect with 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 cigarette butts and um crackheads outside i'm not going in there it might be a nice yeah. facility you get what i'm saying I, it might be an amazing they might have amazing food and great customer service but my defense mechanism is just going to say i'll just drive another five minutes to the next spot right it's just because i'm i'm adding to it i'm just saying it, it Nothing might not happen, but I don't want to risk it. So I'm just, I, I, I do accelerate the, the actual stereotype or whatever it is. Right. No, that, that is interesting. And I, I think it's, uh, it's such a complex issue because, I mean, you, that's kind of what we do. We're really good at, well, we're not great, but we humans, we notice context clues. And, yep. and a lot of Adaptive times reason. we make assub- assumptions based on these clues that we found and it's for safety it's it's for for you know uh what do you call it uh to preserve the self yeah and so i i can't fault you or anyone for doing that and i think it's just it's really unfortunate i mean it's fortunate for us where we use those context clues and we know that we have another option to go somewhere else to drive down the street but there's so many situations in which you have people who have this who pick up the same clues who have the same fears, but they don't have another option to exercise. And they have let's make to it super. Engage. Let's make it. Let's make it even simpler, right? If you cough around me, I'm just I'm 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 hitting I'm hitting the fan. I'm leaving, right? You could have only coughed because of the fact that literally you just <laughs> yes. had to clear your throat, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? But due to COVID, you coughed. I can't COVID. trust. Yes, I'm like, yo, that a cough is like AIDS at this point. Like, I'm just like, yo, <laughs> like, you cough, you got to get out, son. You know what I'm saying? Because look, look yeah. what happens. You got COVID or you don't have COVID. We don't know. You might be asymptomatic. We don't know, right? But I go home. I don't think nothing of it. Wash my hands, do what I'm supposed to do. But I then give it to my family. My son has a heart defect, pre-existing condition. My situation is way different. That cough means way more to me than it means to you. Right? So, yep. so I mean, I'm protective at this point, not even based on race and stereo. No, you cough around me at this point and you got to go. <laughs> Out. <laughs> 
you, man. Right. I, I, I even look at some of the people that, that go grocery shopping. And you know, like when you pick up the wrong fruit or vegetable, and he's like, ah, oh, man, I didn't want to do that. You see him put it back, you be like, oh, I'm sipping that section. <laughs> <laughs> in that section. I ain't got no gloves on. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't trust it. Right. I don't know no. if we're going to wash it right. They ain't say how long it's going to stay on the surface. Uh. You know? True. There are a lot of things that we have to consider nowadays, and especially in this this time of COVID. Uh, we use these context clues and use them to the best of our ability. So you have people, uh, you know, taking extraordinary precautions, wearing exactly. masks in their car when there's nobody else in there. <laughs> but but that, I don't understand that. But if that makes you feel comfortable, you I don't know, get it either. Oh, yeah, I don't get but it. I'm you, not gonna you touch push, you doing that. You push the stereotype because you don't know. Right. This yeah. is the perfect example of unknown, irrational decision making. Mm-hmm. And I'm guilty of it. So I just don't know. So in the, in this respect, going back to the, uh, the subject of racism, it was like it's just not knowing what somebody's motives or intentions are behind the way that they treat you. Um, as you mentioned earlier, Freddie, you work in a lot of spaces in which you're the only black person. And yep. And I'm not sure what the demographics are in, in your setting, Benny, but I, I, I don't know. Do, what, what are the demographics in your setting, Benny? Are they, um, as far as, as far as not students, but uh, teachers, administrators, what, what do you, what'd you say the balance is as far as like black versus white versus Mexican, Hispanic, other? Um, one of two of the only black male administrators in my district. One of two. Uh, Yes, it's only two of us. How many administrators are there in the district? Okay, let's start at the elementary school. We have two, the other elementary school, two, so that's four. Middle school, that's two, so that's six. High school, seven, eight. Uh, Central office, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, okay. So out of 14 people in admin uh, su- supervisory roles, uh, there are only two um, black males. Okay. About 12, 13%. So on that note, with you guys being the minority, if not the only black person uh, in your spaces, have you guys ever experienced racism in your professional setting? Um, no, cause, cause I'm, cause where I'm located and the people I'm working yeah. with, I'm the coolest person that they know. <laughs> <laughs> so they like hype me up. Like, like they, I'm their, I'm their one black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know how that is? Like, right, they just, right. like you give them life because they don't, they don't have anybody that, 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 um, yeah, I guess cool. I don't know. And then I, I can also see that as you being able to change their percep- perception of what a black man is or how a black man, uh, you yeah. know, the stereotypical, I, I guess yeah. you're able to, to come in and soften that image. Exactly. And I think, I mean, and that's a good point because I've had, I mean, really, really wealthy white people that were cool with me. And I've seen a level of what I consider if I was in the South, I'd call it racism. But again, being out here, there's a lack of integration where you're like, there's so many mixed people, right? And because I'm in the tech space, it's just not that many. And um, 
they will be asking me questions, like black questions that normally you'd be like, yo, like, it's not racist, it's curiosity, right? Can you give is me an true? example of a question they might ask that just pops to your head? They right think now? we can all dance. Okay. Can you dance? But it's, it's right? out of curiosity. It's more it's out, of curiosity. out of curiosity. It's never out of like negativity. It's always out of like, so you can dance, huh? And like, mm. and, and, and I can't, and, and I can't, I can't step. I can't step <laughs> worth nothing. I can't step. I can't step. Like I couldn't do it. But if it, compared to you guys, I can definitely dance. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> I don't have, <laughs> like, I, like I'm, I'm dead serious. Like I'm so disconnected at a certain point that like I might look goofy as hell going back home thinking that I'm cool because they've hyped me up over here as in like, I'm the best, <laughs> I'm the best dude walking over here. Like I just got the best dance moves, the funniest jokes. I didn't, I didn't realize that that was like something that they were missing. Right. I'm just like, how boring is it to be you guys that like I come in and like the day is actually more entertaining because I'm having conversations. I'm cracking jokes. Like, you know, listening to music like you guys don't do that <laughs> so and it's a say, lot of it's a but it's a lot of asians a lot of middle eastern it's not just white you get what i'm saying like over here in silicon valley it's very diverse as a whole so they're just trying to have they're they're just trying to let loose and like they love like take like asians love fried chicken like love watermelon asians like fried chicken, fried chicken watermelon and watermelon. comedies yo you put in care you put karaoke fried chicken and watermelon in a room, they go, right? And they'll have the best time. And that's how they let loose. And yet right. when we in the South, we're like, oh, tell nobody because you know, they, they, right? And I'm just like, no, they, that, I just don't experience that out here. It's just, again, I don't think it's reality though. I think it's a bubble out here, Okay. right? I do, I do accept that, that it is a bubble. And that's my fear of leaving. My fear of leaving California is that out here in California, the sky's the limit. I don't want my kids to grow up in a place where they tell them the sky's as far as you can go, right? Like, I don't want to see a ceiling. I don't have a ceiling out here. There's absolutely mm -hmm. nothing I can't do out here. But back home, there was a certain level of jobs and there was a certain salary range, right? In California, Silicon Valley, new businesses are popped up every other day, new ventures, new inventions, something that you didn't think you could make money off of, they're trying out here, right? Back home, I was gonna be a art teacher. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. that was gonna be it. Right. Married at, married at 25, white picket fence, dog, pick, pick, pick two acres, cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating that you say that. I mean, and then to know that there's a, a bubble out here and it's different from everywhere else. But yeah, that's kind of because um, I've, I've heard both sides of the coin, you know, especially I think it's mostly with black women because they tend to get more questions. As you mentioned, like your daughter or your wife is going to have to explain to your daughter about like hair. A lot of people mm -hmm. that are not black have a lot of questions and probably more women. A lot of non-black women have questions about the hair of black women. Right. And I guess they are. That, that question, that type of interaction gets old for them. So I've, had, I've heard some black women uh, say that they are tired of having that conversation and, 
and probably their, their personal space is a little more infringed upon because people will reach out and touch their hair without permission, which is which I imagine over time, over years, over decades, it gets old. Um, right. You know, as opposed to some of the uh, the questions <clears throat> and comments that you and I might get, you, you, I, and Benny might get as being black males. They, they, they seem less uh, offensive to us, perhaps. Right. Um, but less I did aesthetic. Right. Less, it's like less aesthetic. Something we can't fix. Right? right. Like, like my daughter can't fix her hair. You right. know what I'm saying? She can't change that. So then it, it takes a toll on the woman after a while, probably, because you're being criticized on stuff you physically just can't change right. in the grand scheme of things. Exactly. It's some, and so I imagine their, their burden of responsibility is a lot heavier than ours as Black men in America. Um, I did get a glimmer of hope, though. I have a cousin who is, uh, well, my cousin's son, so I guess my second cousin. He's uh, probably like 23, 24 now, uh, lives in Austin, Texas, works for Dell as an engineer. And earlier this year, I think it was in January, uh, before COVID happened, he explained to, <coughs> excuse me, I, I coughed. Uh, glad this is virtual so Freddie don't hey, run out of the hey, door and kick hey. me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but... Um, he expressed to us that as a 24, 23, 24-year-old growing up in Austin, Texas, black male, and he said that he had never experienced racism. I can and believe I, him. And I thought that was a beautiful yeah. thing. And, you know, <laughs> my brother, you know, being in his 40s and my second cousin's father being in his 40s as well, there were their response was more along the lines of you've probably experienced it, but you didn't know that you mm -hmm. had. And that's mm -hmm. possible, okay. but at the same time, I think that I think it might be counterproductive to try and plant that seed because it uh, hasn't hindered the way that he's moved maneuver. thus far. And it really does. Once you start looking from that that other eye, it's very hard to maneuver. Yeah, because you, you start feel like it's an excuse it. for why you're failing. Right. Right. Why things aren't working out. It's because of this. It's because of that. And that's the question I was going to ask you. It was a question about me, but I was going to ask you, Mike, do you think I'm staying in California because of the fact that I know it's a bubble and I'd rather live in a fantasy than to live in the reality in which the world is? No, I don't think so. I think um, you... Um, pose the question one more time before I respond. So, so like how I articulate how in California, I don't think it's how the real world works, right? Like I think it's a, I think it's real, but I think there's a lot of things that the people who are born and raised here never experience. Mm -hmm. They, they're, they're very naive to the way the world actually works and how selfish and how uh, uh, the, they don't understand weather. They don't understand that, right? It's it's 75 degrees in Southern California on a regular basis, right? We can't drive when it rains. Like there's certain things where you're like, you're not used to what actually life has to throw at you. And when life hits you, I'm afraid to see what happened if you leave California, right? Because in California there, man, like, like if California government has so many like, policies to help people out like you don't get that stuff everywhere 
right? Like a lot of even the policies. So because I know this is a bubble, because I know that outside of these walls, the world is a little bit harsher. Am I staying here specifically to live in this world that I don't think is actually preparing my kids for like what they're really going to, if they decide to leave California, I'd be terrified probably. Right. Cause I'm like, Ooh, I didn't prepare you for this because out here it's a utopia out here. It's way nicer out here. They're not as racist out here. They're not as cutthroat. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I hear what you're saying. And so, it's an interesting question because I can say that you moving to California was a business decision and you staying in California was a business decision because you knew it was going to allow you to grow and develop professionally. Yep. Um, so I don't, I don't know exactly if it'd be a business decision moving away from California because it's no longer about business. It's about your, your I, family. I'm remote, but, but I've been remote for six years. This COVID changed everything, right? Mm-hmm. And paying California taxes to be in my house. And, and it ain't cheap, right? Right. So I can move somewhere else, keep the same job working out of Silicon Valley. I can, I can move to Alabama, mm-hmm. right? So if it was a business decision, I would have been gone. I don't think it's a business decision I'm staying. I think it's a, 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 a potentially a thought process of me saying, am I putting a ceiling on my kids' dreams by moving them to a location in which they create ceilings? versus leaving them in California and letting their mind run. And there's the out here that they accept the fact that you say some crazy stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and and that is very interesting. And I I don't know what it is. And you're probably, you're probably right. Like, cause you have a lot to consider. Are you putting a ceiling on your, on your kids by moving to a space where there's less opportunity? But the, the beautiful thing about all of this is that, the, that you know you have the option, the awareness of having an option, because I, th- I think we all know people from, you know, that we grew up with that don't leave because of comfort, perhaps. I'm, I yep. won't say fear, but maybe just it's just comfortable. Um, so it's, they don't even explore that as an option, as a, as a, as a viable option or a, or a real option. Um, but that's, a, that, that's, that's a, I digress. That's another kind of subject. So yeah, I don't, it's a fascinating spot that you're in. I wanted to maybe talk to you about that off the books later, because it's fascinating on like where you go with this as a father and what, where you're putting your kids for the best chance to grow as right. adults. Because um, my parents threw me in the deep end, right? They wanted me to know about racism. My dad trained, my dad raised me to be an adult. I don't know, Benny, I don't know if you've, your parents did the same thing. Like they raised you to be an adult because you had to grow up fast for survival. I came out absolutely fine. Right? Like, right. You're like I did very well for myself. I survived. I was this. I was able to build a family and all that. But you didn't agree with their parenting. You didn't agree with it because you thought it was harsh. But then you see a lot of people who are overprivileged to their kids, which California can do. Right. And could I create kids that aren't potentially exposed to enough to have the same maneuver the world the same way I did, right? Because I took them from where I came from and I took them to an absolute, completely opposite environment, expecting them to turn out like me and my wife did. And they didn't, you know? It's just, it's a thought that I've had time and time again, because again, like I've, from a parenting, when you were talking about parenting, I've always 
as a kid, couldn't stand the way my parents parented, but however they did it, it worked. I don't know how it worked. I don't know why I'm the way that I am. And I think there's a lot of people who see us and they see like, you guys were raised right, but we were whooped. We were punished. We were all the things that they considered to be a bad parent. We turned out good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you take that that trial and tribulation away and you give them the best life they've ever seen, the only example we've seen of that is the white <laughs> kids that rebel and say that they hate their parents and they talk to them like they're crazy. Are we on that track? That's my concern, right? Am I being oblivious <laughs> to this? <laughs> and my daughter going to say something crazy to me and my dad's going to come out of my tone. Right. Like, let me throw you back to your grandmama house and show you what it's really like to be out here in these streets. <laughs> While you out here sitting on the beach every other day, chilling with the sand between your toes and you don't know what it's like to to to. To not eat, you don't know you know what I'm saying, you don't know what it's like to be threatened, you don't know what it's like to have people who don't like you just because. So, Benny, I'd like you to jump in here. And, and piggyback uh-huh. on um, Freddie's comments, if you, if you can, if you if you like, rather. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, y'all 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 know we we sometimes agree to disagree, and my take on it, Freddie, is I don't know, man. I I feel as if I, I'm a parent too, but I feel as if not introducing a conversation on race or eating. And of course, not not at this age, but but it it's coming across as if you don't want to go there unless they bring it to you. And I'm I like, don't even, I don't even know. How to I, I don't it, know, bro. man. I, I think like, I think I don't even know how to answer it's it. Ours. I I think, but I think it's our responsibility to. If you don't know how to answer it research it ourselves and kind of throw out little nuggets and so what you think okay all right so let me ask you the question let me ask you the question your son comes back to you Uh i mean it's different but your son comes back to you and be like dad this dude called me the n-word call me this black n-word what does that mean dad like what does black mean dad how would you explain it to your son off the top because we're not uh, let me let me let me let me let me me stereotype it a little bit more okay okay because like again we're african-american but before you before you Uh before you pose that question freddie let me just make sure that i'm in the right headspace of what i'm what i'm hearing right now uh benny are you accusing freddie of running away (laughs) from the race issue when it comes to uh, uh, i think he's but even if he is he's absolutely right because i brought that up earlier Right. My yeah, biggest fear I, I do, is my daughter asking me, Daddy, what does it mean to be what they call me black? What does that mean? Right. Because, again, my daughter's not only black, she's Dominican and black. Right. So, again, there is an island. Right. That she can go back to and they welcome her with open arms. Right. There is music. That's Dominican. There is food. That's Dominican. I cannot tell her. Oh, this means there's a place in Africa. I, you know, we got family over there in Africa. We go back over there and, you know, hey, we, you know where, where they're going? Alabama, where it's racist, right? So when she comes to me and she asks me this question, 
I know the the political way to answer it, right? I know what the stereotypical way to answer it is. But truthfully, when you tell her your son or whatever, you're black and you got to define it, what does what would you say to your son to define that moment? And it might be why I'm running away from it because I cannot define it yet because as you've seen of recent events, it's a struggle. We're still going through the same things that we were told was no longer our problem. And I got to let her know, even though my granddad and my dad and, and I went through it, you still got to know that being black means this, right? Why would they say it to you in a negative way? Because if you said, daddy, I was so excited. They called me black at school, right? That's not how they're going to come to you because they're going to come to you saying, why are they distinguishing themselves separate from me? Why are they making it feel like I'm on the outside looking in, right? If you were in that situation, would you welcome that conversation early? Or would you stay in California and say, hey, that might not cut <laughs> I'll wait for it to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm welcoming it, man. Uh, I, I have to because, you know, you that's the part of me that embraces my blackness. Like, it is good to be black and, and I will exuberate that to my child at, in, a, in a manner where if you do hear somebody call you the n-word depending you know depending on who it is and where just, just laugh at all uh and, and again in, in certain situations now if, if it's you, you know I can't we, we have to come to a time but, See, but we have that? to come to a time in society where you you can't laugh at all and, and you can't you can't it laugh moving. it off because they're not saying that word to you it depends to your son it depends how did it get that far how did situation. it get benny how did it get yep. to where another kid yep. called your son that that's deep-rooted there's no and way that word should have came out of that kid's mouth unless it's more deep-rooted than that I understand and it depends that's why I say it depends on the situation and the location and they're going to smile it off. Even, even with us, if you go to a grocery store, Freddie, where you are, and you hear somebody, nigger, and you turn around, you look, and it's a, a white person, and they're looking at you, you're going to keep it moving. Because Facts. it doesn't, I mean, it, 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 that's why I say it depends on the situation and the location. Now, if so a person bad. is, if you are in it and, and a heated argument, or like I said, okay, for a perfect, perfect example, the stereotypical situation, you're at school or you're on a playground. A, a white student is, is in your son's face and, and he's, you know, has his finger in there and, and he calls you that N-word, then yes, you knock his ass out. But if he is 17 in the grocery store and he hears somebody say it and he just minding his own business, has no type of interaction with that person. Keep it moving, son. I, I will say this. Now, I'm extremely pro-black. Joined the I AFI, right? My mom's black. Grew up in the you. South. 100% pro-black. But I never ran across this issue until I became a parent. 
right? The way that I handle the situations, I can control. But when my kids are involved, my wife are, is involved, the emotional reaction, and I don't think enough people talk about that to where you know what you would do in that situation, but then the moment somebody says something, like I saw, I saw a kid play with my daughter the wrong way and I wanted to F the kid up. Now, I don't know where that came from, but it was more of a defense mechanism because I'm like, she doesn't or he doesn't realize what's going on in that sense, right? And so again, okay. I don't want it to come off as in like, I'm not pro-black. I, I think black is beautiful. I think that I'm very pro-black. What yeah. I'm saying is, is that there is a level of, of, of fear in which I introduce yeah. something to my daughter prematurely or my son prematurely in which they haven't faced yet and they start looking for it. But when I they guess. do get that situation, right? So let's say they get the N-word, they get this. Then I will talk to them about it. I'm not dodging it because I don't think there's a conversation to have right now. Right? True, I don't think true. it's, I don't so, think it's so, something to talk about. And I, like I said, I completely understand because like I said, even, even with my boy, you know, I'm not doing uh, those conversations either. But I do plan on you know, dropping nuggets about. But is that because you think you have to? Is that because you think that that's what you're programmed to do? Is that because that's what you think the right thing is to do? Is that because, because of the fact the environment that you're in, you feel like the the right thing to to say or do is to be like, I'm gonna make sure I I I have this conversation with them, right? Because I've done that. I've I've talked to myself in my head before to where I'm just like. Yo, am I saying this because society says I need to say this, even though I'm not facing any of this stuff? Like I'm supposed to have an opinion about something that I don't really have an opinion of, but because I'm black, I got to say something regardless of the fact that um, I'm not experiencing it. Because when we all went to Troy, the common thing between all of us is that we didn't experience racism for real. We, yeah, yeah we, we, we did. But just because we, we don't experience it, that doesn't mean I, that we, we shouldn't know about it and of course I, I'm, I'm with you i agree with it not prematurely but at the same time I, I mean i want and i think every generation or every culture wants to know who they are right so who they, are where, so that's what i'm asking where they came from defined it tell me what you would say to them i want to hear what you would say to your son if he comes and asks you daddy what does being black mean as a black man it means sometimes you are going to have to work two times harder just because of the media and the way that systemic issues have impacted the race of black the race of black are people with this skin color son and i would show him different shades different things and i was like of course it's different but in the south this is the the that is associated with black this skin color these type of interactions and i also want him to know how blacks arrive to america and and, and i want to say um, we you have to be in this bubble i, I want to be able to show him the the genealogy of where we came from 
And, and I, again, I, I take that back to I think that's every culture would love to be able to claim something. You know, I think the Italians, the, the you know, like your your wife, she, the Dominican, um, and, and even with you, I think that it is behooving of you to let your kids know that they're, they're black yeah. in Alabama. They know um, that. So but I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, they absolutely, because their grandmother, uh, you haven't seen my mom. My mom's, my mom's your color, right? Yeah, so, I've seen your mom before. Right. So what I'm saying is they, they can identify that. They understand that. Right. And, but again, okay. so are, what I'm, what are I'm articulating you, are you, is that you are having to explain to your son, the real conversation is beyond being just, you're, you're, yeah. you're saying to him, yeah. Son, you got that. Comes you, with got cla- yeah, you got classism. You, you got all of that. Right. Um, systemic racism. You, you got. Even so then they say, who, does everybody go through this? No, everybody okay. don't. So that's what I'm saying. The difficult conversation is, and I never knew it was that difficult until I had my daughter with my wife and I got to see what a culture looked like and realized that we have created the reason why we've created the African-American culture is because we, they took it away from us. And then the the society has deemed it as negative. Froze. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got yeah. you. Yeah. So, so the thing that we've created, when they took our culture away from us, we created the African-American culture, what it means to be Black. And then because their hatred, they took every negative element that we've ever done. And then they made that, that's what Black is. Loud, this, that, blah, blah, blah. And when she gets called Black, right? Not African American. Not African American. Not any of that. She should embrace it. I'm not telling her not to embrace it, right? What I'm telling you is, as a father, I have not found the words yet to blend the the balance between letting you know that you are the most powerful king or queen on this earth, but yet you're going to struggle to realize it because right now the way the world is molding. We haven't been able to prove to them that we are kings and queens, and they, they're trying to hold you back. They're going to tell you that you're different, and yet you're built for this, right? And when you play sports, you're built for this. You can take this. And what do you have to do? You have to push harder. You have to do this. You have to do that. And that's, that's difficult. And I mean, like, and I know it sounds really deep, but I'm like, you have to look at your child and tell them you have to be better than better. You have to be better than good. You have to be A plus, plus, plus to get half of what they have. That's what it means. And I don't want to say that to her. I want to say, you do you and watch the world get out of your way. I don't have to tell her that the reason why it seems a little hard, you know what? It might be in your head. I don't want every single time you struggle for you to pull the black card. I want you to literally believe you are able to do anything you want to there's no limitations you're your only limitation i got you and, and we we both we both are, are approaching it from two different uh angles i'm, I'm approaching it from the you know but let, let's look at it from the optimistic the positive side and and, and shape but the you didn't say that, that way that's and why you're, i asked you to define you're black. moving but yeah, i you're asked moving you to define the, black the right Mike, then I say, if you had the opportunity to explain to your son what it means to be black, 
he went negative as well in order to let him know that you're going to face opposition. Am I right or wrong? You both, you both are, you both are. Yes. Yes. You're right. right. That's, that's how it was defined by, by negation based, not, not, not by negation, but focusing on the negative aspects and the things that we have to overcome. And so what I'd like to ask you both, because what you guys are both talking about, it sounds like self-love, you know, being, being, being loving the fact that you and your children are of African descent and like Freddie, you and your wife have seen, uh, well, you, you've seen like Dominican culture and, you know, teaching your, teaching our kids about, uh, the, the ancestors, that's not just slavery. So, but, but Kings and Queens. So, and it's about the like, like black culture, African-American culture and finding pride in that. So how, how do you guys feel that culture teaching about the, the, the Kings and Queens and, 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 and the culture of all of the good things, how does that help, help you? How, I mean, how does that help that? How does that help your children? Cause I guess we're the, I'm coming from a, a slightly different angle from both of you is that, because okay. I, I, for you, for you, like for both of you, your kids have parents that are successful in doing world well in American society. So I don't see the overarching value in in putting so much emphasis on the royal aspect of African culture. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I'm I'm not saying double down on you know, these are the obstacles you're going to face. You, you have to be stronger. You have to be more blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying that, but just based off of things that Freddie has said, I did want to make sure that there was a balance in the conversation by, by me. And you, you said it yourself, you're, you're, you're pro back. you're not anti-black or whatever. But I also want to throw out there that, you know, we, that should also be, you know, a conversation that, you know, um, is held too. Um, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think if I didn't have a, you know, like with my son, I have a different approach to it because I'm a boy. With my daughter, I'm just, I'm a little lost in the approach, the softness, the tenderness, the, the you get what I'm saying? Like there's a different yeah, level in which you look at it and you say like, I can, I can go tell my son, hey, look, this is how it is. But with my daughter, I like, if I say her name wrong, she'll start crying. Daddy, what, you mad at me? Right? Like as a whole, like she's sensitive. <laughs> she's very aware of things. And you, when you have kids, you, you pay attention to those cues. Like you get what I'm saying? And you want yeah. to toughen her up. But again, that's what I was talking about with parenting. You look at how your parents did it. You're not going to necessarily get it right, but the fucking formula finds a way to work out somehow. Right. And I'm not saying I'm not going to talk to my kids about it. I'm just saying right now when I'm openly discussing it, I haven't found the words yet. And I don't want to approach it from a way to where the first words I tell them is negative because probably the time that they hear it is negative. Right. So how do I approach it in a, in a, in a more positive way? And back to Mike's question, Kings and Queens, I actually never talked to my kids from a level of King and Queen. My daughter did it. She watches, cartoons and she watches the king the mom she's like daddy's king mommy's queen Raylan's princess and lee's prince right and so we've just carried it on she's not looking at it from an african standpoint she's looking at it as this is the household 
right? So she's associated with like Disney more than I've done it. So I've just carried it on. Fair, fair. So thank you for clarifying that. So, and I guess um, maybe to re to restate my question, you know, your your family having access to to um, to Dominican culture, and we we said that African culture was robbed robbed from us. Um, what do you both feel that the black community loses out on by not having a connection? with deep culture mm. deep culture as in like an african lo- location that we can go back to and say as our own yeah i, I guess similarly like okay. you would say dominicans have like a deep so, culture you have so that you can go back to, is, you can go back to that island but we don't yeah. necessarily feel like we have that so like what do you think that we're losing out on by not having that i would say it's it's weird i think they're limited because they have that i think we're unleashed because we don't have it Right. I think that they're limited. They're limited. We're unleashed. We're unleashed. So the limitations that they have is that they have such a rich culture. If you go outside of it, the elders acknowledge it. You're not acting right. You're not doing what we do. Right. It's deep rooted. Like it's this is the type of music we play. This is Dominican music. This is Dominican food. If you start blending it all up, remixing it, they, they look at you like, I don't like that. You get what I'm saying? And so there's a limitation to their growth because they want to hold on to that old tradition. With us, we don't have it. So we change and remix everything, right? We create new stuff. We're a little bit more unleashed than the average culture because we don't have a tradition that's pre-existing that's telling us how to act, right? We have family members that did certain things, but like in the grand scheme of things, like, if we decide to change the way we dress, if we try to change the way we eat food, like think about Southern food, right? Like we eat, like I, I, I used this example before, like fried chicken, um, mac and cheese, you know, dressing, all that, right? Is that black or is that Southern now? You don't know anymore. You get what I'm saying? You can't tell because they've taken it and said, you know what, we kind of like this. So we got this, this old 60-year-old woman in there frying up some chicken. That's Southern fried chicken and mac and cheese and, and all this other stuff. But from a Dominican standpoint, they have very particular dishes, plantain, native food that comes from it. Do, do you eat African food over here? Or do you have an American mm. diet? Uh, neither really. I've and learned that the d- standard American diet is horrible for you. So I know what you really engaged. <laughs> but there's nothing stopping you from just jumping in between. But if my, my wife's mom comes, she's like, for the hot, this is what I want. This is right. Cause that's, that's the history. And, and, and two, and, and two, it's, it's the history because they are limited to, an island. So they do take on those foods that abundance to their island. To the team. And to yep. say it, it, it to, and to say for is it African, is it black food, African food, or is it southern food? You also have to keep in mind that 
a large majority of blacks are in the south i agree it's it goes hand in hand but um, all these so cookbooks, you're not gonna say right all these well-published you're not, cookbooks, you're not gonna find i, I hear you i hear you so that it's kind of a, a a balance that you have to have as well as even when you discuss us not having um yeah, your, your camera out of focus now you good go ahead yeah okay yeah because i thought it was just my internet or something was slow <laughs> um but you also have to think about the fact that we going back to um uh what was i talking about with, with the the culture of, of africa afrocentric that's what i wanted to bring up you're gonna find a large part of preserving the culture of Africa, the, the preserving of symbols, rituals, music, art um, in the South. You, you're kind of, kind of like, I, I remember when you said something too, Freddie, about fraternity life out West is Fair. way different than fraternity life in the South. Completely so that's why, that, that's why I also mean, say, make, I'm, I'm thinking I'll just go and be frank. I think your ass been out west for so long that you have forgotten some of the things that the South still has and embodies that do truly embrace the culture of what it means to be black, what it means to be African. And, and of course, in Alabama, there aren't as many Afrocentric things because, you know, you, you talk about the curriculum that we put in the schools and and all of that type of stuff. But in Atlanta, in Georgia, man, you have so an abundance of these Afrocentric schools. In Memphis, you have an abundance of Afrocentric uh, private schools teaching the, these African ways. And in most major urban uh, metropolitan areas, you will have a few Afrocentric people who are looking to preserve that culture of Africa. Um, so that's why I say, I, I, I think we still do have it. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we don't have it. I'm saying anything that we do successful, they try to take and they commercialize it and it becomes something that okay. becomes American versus it becomes African, right? Like even Africans are looking at some of the stuff that we do and they don't consider it African. They're just saying, look, they're remixing it their own way, potentially. Right. Um, but it, you have a really good, absolutely good point. And I think that's where a lot of my questions or angles have been since I've come out here to the West Coast, right? I didn't have the stereotypical journey, right? I went to magnet schools my entire life. I went to a technology high school, right? I've learned how to navigate, maneuver, and get to certain levels in life without having but, to learn certain lessons that other people may or may not have to. Right. Let's go ahead and give them a shout out. Let's go ahead and give them a shout out. Straight out of Montgomery, Alabama. Uh book book of T right. No, nah, Brutech. <laughs> Lamp. Yeah. Brutech. Lamp. So oh, Brutech, Brutech, Brutech. Yeah, so, shout out Brutech. So right. <laughs> so what I'm saying is is like again, like even though I grew up in a time where it came off as like 
you know, um, there was still racism and all that. My parents worked their butt off to put me in positions to get the best education they felt that they could put me in. Right. Um, I took that and then I went to college. I didn't, I didn't, and I didn't yeah. recognize the racism. Then I met a dude named Mike, had a few wine nights, decided to move to California. <laughs> Even worse, right? So, I mean, I, I am very I aware of my disconnect, right? But my disconnect has also been my level of success. And that moment in, at the beginning of the podcast, when I brought up the George Floyd thing, when I didn't feel anything and it frustrated my wife, it... yeah. It, it enhanced the discussion of, whoa, I'm fucking sleep at the wheel, bro. So what right? it sounds like is that you're saying that you and maybe the black community as a whole is better off by having a shorter cultural relationship. Is that correct? No, what I'm saying, my, my, my journey to success, I was privileged enough to bypass some of the things that probably would have hindered my level of success, right? I don't feel, I don't look at racism the same way. I don't look at somebody's um, disrespect as racist. I look at it as a challenge, right? I moved to California because I, I wanted a challenge. I was either gonna move to California or New York. I wanted to, I wanted to meet people who would, who would challenge me and, and would say some rude to me, right? But not out of racism, but out of just like, design like you get what i'm saying like like i want to learn how to be tough if i can survive here i can survive anywhere right, right? and it sounds like you're saying that having too strong of a connection to culture is a hindrance i don't know I, that's what my <laughs> question is like i don't know because I again i feel like as a african-american man to come through the south i've progressed through and popped out the other end successful Right. In my own right, I've I've achieved everything that I wanted to achieve and more. And I'm living the American dream. And my parents grew up in Alabama and I grew up there. When you tell people that you're from Alabama, they swing, they sing Sweet Home Alabama. When you travel the world, they all know that. And they say, man, how did you deal with all that's the That's right. That's right. Right. <laughs> and I'm sitting here almost like a unicorn to these people. Because they're like, you're talented, you can do this, you can do that. Like, man, like you're the accept. And I'm like, I don't know if if I didn't live the way I live, if I didn't allow racism, if I didn't, if my mindset wasn't the way it was, my parents didn't raise me the way I was raised, would I be further or would I be, would I have not gone anywhere? Would I allow myself to have so many excuses to stop me from progressing that my ignorance and blindness and my just willingness to just overlook stuff for survival propelled me into a comfortable life in California. And then when stuff happens, I feel guilty because I've positioned my family far enough to where that's not my reality. Chris Rock said something amazing to me. Chris Rock said that I will always vote to be famous because if I wasn't, I don't know if I would have made it. Because he knows he yeah. never, he doesn't deal with racism the same way as the average person does. His celebrity yes. allows him privilege. And he said that he will buy that privilege every time if he had the option. And that's crazy for him to say because his audience is black, right? As a whole. And for me, I'm like, is my ignorance 
the reason why I was able to get out here to California and, and have a decent life, but then as I'm raising my kids, it's having me ask that question, right? They're going to face it. They're going to be given that opposition. Did I, did I, am I going to teach them to ignore it? There we go. That's what I was saying. Mm. Am I going to train them mm. to ignore the realities and be as blind as I was to it for a survival standpoint. And I'm not blind, I can see it, I ignore it. Because if I get involved with the protests, and I know I'm talking a lot and I apologize, but my, my sister-in-law said, are you gonna go protest? If I was younger, I would have had no problem protesting. Now that I have a family and kids, I cannot see myself doing it because I have too much to lose if something goes wrong. So I feel like I'd rather do something behind the scenes than to go out there and physically show it and put my family at risk to voice something that for over the last 50, 60, 70 years hasn't necessarily equal progression, right? It hasn't necessarily in our minds, we protest, we stop, we protest again, we stop, we protest again. You know, as a parent now, I'm so cautious of that that I don't want that moment to be my last moment by accident. I got you. Deep, uh, right? That, well, well, yeah, that, no, it's very interesting. And I, and I appreciate you, you know, being so transparent with your thoughts about that. Um, Cause I, I know there, there are people that might listen that might feel some kind of way about not speaking uh, aloud about it. But what you're, you're, what you're saying, you're not saying that you're against the the movement you're saying that you're just not going to put yourself in a physical situation that could jeopardize uh your 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 personal health i'm saying i never knew when i was in college and i was extremely all about it i always looked at people in privileged positions and wondered why they didn't do anything and then the moment i got myself in a position and i had something to lose I found myself doing the exact same thing. And to me, that's being human. To me, that's something I didn't even realize I was going to do. And if you eliminate the kids and you eliminate the marriage, I might be a different person, right? But because of the fact that I have something to lose, I'm way more cautious of my proactiveness but then I'm way more concerned with my lack of proactiveness. Gotcha. Mm, that's, you know what? That's a, that's a very interesting thought. And I'm, we're, we're going to have to do a part two. I'm just signing you guys up right now. We're going to have yeah. to do a part two to hit yeah. that subject. So we, we got, we got to run that back, man. We got to run yeah, this we, back. We definitely got to run. We definitely got to run that back. So last, um, because that's that's a heavy thought. We're gonna run that back. We're gonna run that back for the Pierce. Last last topic. I don't want to keep you guys all night. I know it's late over there, Benny Lou. Um, and you you know you mentioned that you wanted to touch on the subject of love. Uh, I think you listened to my podcast, <laughs> my, my first one. <laughs> so you wanted to touch on that. Yes, so yes. Uh, my my question to to both of you is. How has your idea of love changed since college days and what does it look and how, and how has it contrasted to your idea of love now? 
Man, after listening to your your podcast, I, I, I was I wanted to do flips, man. I, I was cheering. I was like, "Yeah, that's it, man. That's that's it, Mike. That's it, man." <laughs> Appreciate uh, it. Because <laughs> it, it was it was so on point with what society says, what it actually is, and when you break it down to its core. It's how willing am I to be inconvenient, inconvenienced for this person? Would I be willing to stop what I'm doing at a moment's notice just to take care of the need or the desire for another human? And having kids now, I view my mom differently. I've know Freddie mentioned something about, you know, you you hated the way they parented you, and I was the same. I hated the way she parented. But now that I think about it, I'm like, my mama had to deal with this. My mama had to go through age, birth, one, two, three. It's a struggle, and you can't tell me that's not love, and you can't tell me that that's not, um, or, or parenting isn't love. But, but you can't tell me that you know she didn't didn't love her kids. But growing up, once you hit a certain age, you do. You like, man, I can't stand. You know, blah blah blah. Um, but like I said, the, the bottom line with that is even uh, after I, I've removed, go from, you know, having a kid myself and the definition and the feeling of love that I have towards my kid to now having it towards another consenting adult, um, you, you hit it on the head, man. Um, you go through those phases, those stages. And you do get to a point where it does boil down to that, that inconvenience, man. So uh, that's how I'm looking at it now. That's how I'm approaching um, a, a newfound love for what uh, whatever may lie in my future. Um, because, you know, at, at its core, that's, that's what it is. How willing is an individual willing to be inconvenienced at your expense? Uh, yeah, yeah. I appreciate you saying that, Benny. Um, and, and just to clarify, it's, uh, it's the, the inconvenience is that's the prerequisite. Yeah. To, to, to be operating. Pre- okay. The inconvenience gotcha. is the prerequisite to operate in a space of love. Um, but yeah, so gotcha. but after, gotcha. after you, yes, after you experience that, that inconvenience, then you can operate in that state of love, which is selfless giving without reciprocation. Without with, yeah. without expectation of reciprocation. Yes, gotcha, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate that. Uh, it's um, it's uh, it's it's a hard thing to do. <laughs> it's a hard thing to do. Um, uh, Freddie, Freddie, how about you, man? How have how have you have your ideas about love changed from our Troy days to the present day? Yeah, I think. 
when when we were in school um again growing up in the south you kind of told like oh you get married at 25 you have two two or three kids you you kind of go through that and then when you um start running across like your passions and things that you want to do and stuff like that you start delaying it that time starts clicking in um when i got married um i again there's levels to it right the one thing that I find is that most people don't realize how much work love is. It's actually a lot of work, a ton of marriage is a ton of work, but love is something that changes from time to time. Right. Like, like, like you said, dealing with like compromises and what you're willing to do. Like when I looked at my wife, like I realized throughout my life, I've had people that supported me. Right. And so one of the things that I show her, which is, is unique to her is I show her that I see her on the level that people who are her friends and family, they haven't seen her. Right. I believe in her that much. Like my wife does like, she's a personality. Right. So like she's never had anybody believe in her to that point and, and put their energy towards her. And when I do it, I'm telling her that because I need her to know how to do that to my daughter how to believe in like love is in so many different levels that it's like yo we like like there's some people that get married and they don't love each other anymore and they stay together for the kids right yes and you're showing yes. you're showing your kids that love ha isn't this thing that you've seen on a disney channel love is toleration love is like getting it just hanging Ooh. in there Right. You're just Ooh. you're just hanging in there for the kids. And once your kids get out, you see them and they look miserable. Right. As a whole. And and you and you, they equate that to what love, man. Yeah. Right. So like yeah. for me, I, I always tell my wife this. I was like, I'm a great dad. I'm a terrible husband. And the one thing that I have to remind myself in order to keep our love strong is I have to date my wife. Yes. Right. I got you. I have to keep the same things that I did to let her know I was interested, that I knew that she was important. I had I have to do the same thing now. I can't let the things that happen on a day to day basis allow our connection to disappear and become more of a functional thing. Right. Because, again, like if I tell her, like, oh, I love you. <laughs> what I'm really saying okay. is, OK, I ain't leave yet. I'm still here. OK, <laughs> I'm paying the bills. Right. <laughs> but what she's hearing is, do you love me or are you only with me because of the kids and your responsibility because you're a good man? Am I blending Ooh. the two? Right? So I'm sticking with you because I'm a good man and I know if I break this up, it's, gonna, it's not going to look right. So I'm tolerating and I'm like, I got to keep reminding her that's not the case. So I got to date my wife. I got to gotcha. remind her that she's the one for me. And I got to keep, it's training, right? So it's like, I don't, like when they say like, can you define love? I can't. I'm still working at it. I'm still trying to figure it out. Gotcha. I'm still trying to figure out what I can tolerate. I don't know what I'm going to tolerate until it hits me. Right? Like, hey, look, I thought I could do it. This happened. My son, like, he had a heart defect. There's people who fall apart when, when their kids come out sick. They divide. We got closer. Right? Like, we didn't know we were that strong. We added more to it. Right? As a whole. So, like, it's drastically from the idea of being in college and thinking about love, just being with somebody versus like actually being in it. You're like, whoo, this is a full-time job.
Yeah, so, oh, and I go back, man, I, I missed that question all the way, Mike. I think when I answered your question, I was just blown on the fact of how good your first podcast was. Oh, I appreciate it, bro. I, I appreciate it. That's yeah. why I ain't going to correct you. I'm going to let that ride. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, uh, I mean, that's, that's really heavy. That's really heavy, Freddie. Um, that, that insight and that type of understanding that you have about your relationship. So is it, is it safe to say that your wife knows without a shadow of a doubt that you love her, but what you're doing is showing her that you still like her? I'm showing her that I still like her. And I don't know if she always, I don't know if, if, if like she, she knows that I love her. Right. Like, again, like she knows it. Like you want to say like in a conceptual way, it's like, I know it, but like, as I grow, like we talked about it earlier, like ego and stuff like that. Like there's certain things that occur as you're getting older and you're going through things in which can make them question it. Right. But if you have open communication, if you're constantly talking, if you're constantly working on it, then whenever those concerns or questions come up, right, you can hit it on the head. And so for me, I work so much that the conversation came up right okay okay you're not present you're functioning you're married you're playing your role right if you didn't have kids would you would would you put forth as much effort as you're putting or would we spend more time together or are you just are you ignoring the you know are you just working hard because you you now have kids would you have worked this hard for me for us right do you do you care like love like do i love her and when you're in the day to day, and I don't know what her perspective is, right? Like women have different perspectives than men, but when you're in that grind, you're working 60 hours a week, my love language is providing. Her love language is different. So what I think I'm showing her love, I'm not showing her love. I had to talk to her and realize that I have to date her in order to show her love. I have to let her know she matters to me to keep her satisfied and realizing that you're not getting lost in the sauce. You know, she wants to be told it. She wants to feel like if our kids weren't here, I would still be with her. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's pretty, plenty of women that do that. And that's what I'm saying. Like, again, going back to the main question, my perception of love, it is extremely complicated and it's a lot of work. And I see why so many people struggle. And the older I get, the more I can see why people hesitate to get involved with it. Right. It's like, you, there's so many there's so many things that are happening where trust is the ooh if that trust isn't there you break it it's over with there's no way your parents are telling you to break up with them your family's telling you to break your fam like if you bring anybody else in they're going to protect you you're not going to put up with it your toleration is low do you get what i'm saying yeah and society has made us to where any flaw in you right? Any flaw you have is questions for to get dismissed. That's dating nowadays. I can't do that in my marriage. Every time she makes me mad, you can be dismissed. That's not going to work. So it's work. I hear you. I hear you. That's a, it's it's a heavy, it's a heavy thing. And uh, are you saying heavy in a positive or negative way? Cause you say heavy, and I'm like, is that like heavy as in as deep, or is that heavy like 
That's, that went away. That ain't oh no! Yeah, <laughs> you know how you're Mike right. go. Oh, Mike, no, that that. Was, you're like, was that good or was that like Mike? Like, mm, man, he nailed that one. That was, so that Freddie one, has man. decoded my. <laughs> Freddie has decoded decoded me. No, it, it's heavy. Is in that sense, uh, it's, it's real. real. It's like you are you are just dissecting the layers of what a real relationship means, and not only what it means for you, but what it means for your wife and, and how she sees love and how she feels love. And it's definitely it, what, what you're doing is I think it's a great example of what we talked about uh, before the call is about like putting your ego aside and really focusing on like, what does this person in front of me need aside from whatever, forget about what I need right now, but what get it, creating that space for yourself and putting that energy into what your partner needs. And that it is, and it, it is work. And you're absolutely right. I think we're, we're spoon fed that, that fairy tale, uh, romance, you know, by Hollywood is that, you know, relationships shouldn't be hard. It's like, well, that's a, that's a complete lie. If you expect to build something great, it, you're going to experience some tough times. So I think that's very well said. You articulated it very well. Um, Benny, did you want to, did you want to add anything to that? You know, I mean, if you want to throw another plug to my first episode, you can do that <laughs> again as well. But I mean, if you would like to, it was, it know, was really good, the, bro. It was really good. Appreciate that. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, Benny, feel free. Uh, floor is yours if you'd like to uh, re-answer. Well, I, I'll just add this this part, guys. Um, you, you you both know I, I am divorced now. Uh, so listening to you both speak, Mike, you in, in the first podcast about love and, and what it is and what it's not and the stages that we go through, um, like I said before, I was excited, man. I, I was, you know, in tune because uh, again, I felt as if I don't know what love is. Or I, did I not know what it was? And, and you know, one could probably argue, but you're divorced now, so you probably did it. Uh, and, you know, Freddie, listening to you come in on, on this podcast and, you know, you, you spend your knowledge about it. Guys, I, I'll be honest right now, I'm, I'm just a sponge, man, just trying to really understand it myself. So the next situation that I do put myself in, um, I make sure that I will be able to, that other individual, the time that is needed to make that bond strong. Uh, date, like you mentioned, Freddie, um, self selflessness, like you mentioned, Mike. Uh, so those, those are just my comments. I, I don't have any uh, advice for anybody at, at this point, um, but those are just my thoughts coming out of the situation that I was just uh, in um, and, and how I look to move forward. Right. I'm right there with you. I haven't, I don't have the advice. I'm, I'm literally just I'm learning as I go. <laughs> like I'm being blunt. Like That's I'm being fair. blunt. I mess up all the time. Like I said, I'm not a great husband. I'm a great father. I'm a great provider. But like, I didn't see my dad be a husband. I saw my dad be a provider. I'm just doing what I saw. And then when my wife, because we have open communication, we talk about it and she tells me what she needs. Right. And I tell her what I need and therefore we're, we're remixing this thing. Right. And we're figuring it out as we go. We added one kid. We thought it was like this. Once we had another kid, we was like, Ooh, you know, like, you know how they tell you, like, you can't love one kid over the other. 
right? Uh-huh. right? <laughs> you, you can't love one kid because it's different. And you don't know that until you have them. Because you look at him like, that one over there, bad. I can see this one over here, good. How you don't have a favorite? But the reality is there's such a unique situation of your connection to that child that your love for that mm-hmm. kid is, is, you can't even explain it. You can't even explain yeah. it. So you don't even know how to show it to them. It, it, like you're, you're figuring it out as you go, bro. Like at 100%. Like, like I remember th- there was this moment to where I was talking to my daughter and I said, daddy, love you. And she said, I said, you love me? She was like, I love mommy. And I was like, ooh, ooh like yeah. you love mommy, right? Okay. And I said, okay. but do you love daddy? Guess what she said? She said, daddy loves Lee, my son. I ooh. said, am I showing ooh. my son more love than my daughter? <laughs> and she wasn't, okay. she even okay. got to the point where she would draw a picture of us and she would draw mommy and my daughter, like they would be together and me and Lee would be together. And I was like, what am I okay. doing? Because I clearly show her more attention okay. than I show him. <laughs> right. She's daddy's little girl. She's, you know what I'm saying? Like he ignores me. So I don't yeah. understand where this is coming from. But there's something in my daughter's love language that's coming out early. And what my wife is doing with my daughter versus what I'm doing with my daughter. And maybe I. I don't play with my daughter the same way because I throw my son all over the place, right? Like I can't, I don't do my daughter like that, but she might translate that as more love. That hit me. Oh, I'm thinking that I'm showing them love. And because my daughter's already communicating, she's saying, I love mommy, you love Lee. Like it just, it just, bro, I was ready to cry. I was like, I couldn't even believe this. Like I thought I was killing it. I thought I was a good father. And my daughter was looking at it completely different. And later on, I kind of bribed her and threatened her. And and she said it. She was like, Daddy, I love you. But like. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get that. Got to get that. Yeah, I kind of held it. No, no, no. You want cookies? Go ask your mama. You you love your mama. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. (laughs) (laughs) But like, imagine that, that your kid is identifying love that early. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a a huge aspect about how at what age kids start conceptualizing the idea of love. And I, and I think, um, you know, both of you guys and myself included are taking the, the right approach um, of learning as we go, having an open mind. Cause I think the minute that you feel like you have it figured out is when you get complacent and things will eventually start to dissolve and you have to put them back together. And that's really good insight, Freddie, about um, like just being mindful about is there anyone else that's trying to uh, divide the relationship? You know, maybe like a friend or a family member who's telling you to get out of the relationship. Um, so I think it's re- that's why it's super important to understand for yourself what real love actually means and what it looks like. So that way, when there's an, you, you, it's, it's harder to be influenced by outside sources because that's yeah. not what you want, um, ideally. You know, yep. it, it, it will, from the outside, it's always going to be easy to tell someone else to, that they should get away from that. Um, so, yeah, you have to have that strength within yourself to, to understand reasonably what uh, is tol- what is uh, bearable, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Yep. yeah and what's bearable for you might not be bearable for the person that you're with. What's up, Benny? 
You know what I'm saying? Mike, let, let me ask you a, a, a question on, uh, I guess, your situation. In, in your first podcast, you, you did mention, you, you spoke on it a, a little bit. Um, how are you approaching it now? Uh, being in a state that is, I mean, you like you, you mentioned, Freddie, it's different. So dating in California, how do you perceive that? And, and I'll just go ahead and tell you my, my point of view, uh, the, the no hypothesis, I'm looking at it like to each his own. Everybody's just, okay, this one didn't work out, on to the next one. Okay, that one didn't work out, on to It's so many different options and varieties. You know, of course, somebody in Alabama looking at California like, you know, man, they, men and women probably just, drop them like flies and on to the next one. So I, I look at it like dating must be very difficult without any set norms or traditions that you may see in the South. Uh, so being out West, how has that experience been for you with, with dating and, and, and love to kind of piggyback off of what you mentioned in your first podcast? Right. Right. Uh, that's a that's a great question, and I'm in a space right now while I'm while I'm still exploring like what I think a relationship looks like for me. But I think that is a large problem that we have out here in in California is that the you have so many options available to you, and so when the first one of the first things I did when I moved to LA was jump on the dating apps. That, that's the very first thing I did <laughs> uh, because I can, I can be kind of a shy guy when it comes yeah, yeah. to, you know, uh, you know, face to face interaction. I, I get I, I clam up, you know, I blush, I sweat, you know. <laughs> and so but but I, I, did I don't the believe that, thing. Mike, man. Oh, dude, I'm super shy. I don't believe I'm that, Mike, man. I'm telling you, I promise you, I am super Mike. shy. Like, yeah. Especially like if, we, if we're in a bar or a club like that is. That's where I like to go. You know, I don't, Mike, we went to college together, Mike. <laughs> I went out with Mike. Mike's but, okay. Shy. Mike's definitely okay. shy. I'm definitely shy. Like alcohol. Now, he ain't shy with us. He ain't shy with us. But Mike's definitely shy. So, yeah, so Mike, we, we haven't taken, we haven't, we haven't taken a road trip, Mike. It's been a minute. Let's put, we need to put it on the schedule, y'all. We need to take a bruz trip, you know, where we uh, okay. get into some mischief. Oh, but, but enough about the mischief. Um, I think, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But as far as like, yeah, dating in California, the first, one of the first things I did was get on a dating app. And I did that for a few years. And I think it's, um, there, and there are people that find success that way. I'm no longer interested in the dating apps because it does give you the idea that um, you have just so many options. So I don't think it really allows you to put your best foot forward when you're, when you're out on a date, because in the back of your mind, you're like, well, you know, if, uh, if this doesn't work out, I have, you know, 10 other people in the queue that I need to date. It's like, you're already thinking the, the second that this person in front of you, doesn't meet one of your expectations, you can just kind of back off rather than be a little more curious about what it is that you don't like or engage in them. You can kind of take your foot off the gas and, and relax and say like, well, you know, guy number two, number three, or girl number two, number three, you know, whoever's in that queue, then it doesn't, 
then you're like, like you're putting more energy into to those other people. And so that's why for me, when I, when I'm on there, it, it gives me that idea. It's like, Oh, well I got four or five other girls that I'm chatting with right now. So, and she's kind of cool, but I think I'm already setting in my, I'm setting up in my mind the fact that I'm going to still try and attempt to set up a date with girl number two, number three, number four. And so for me, that's not the, it doesn't, uh, it, it, it's not ideal because when you're creating that dating profile, you're only saying things that are going to attract the most interest. So it's like a, it's just a, it's just a portion of you. It's your, I'm, I, I'm, you're crafting this version of yourself that doesn't give you, that doesn't give people, cause it's, it's, um, it's just not the best way. You're just trying to get the most bites. You're putting out the best bait out there. So you get the most bites. So I think for me, organic interactions is where I do best. For instance, where I, you know, it's, it's in settings like this where I can have conversations, real conversations with people. Uh, so that way you get to see people on a more organic level. There's no expectation. When you go out on a, a date, on a dating app, it's like an expectation. It's like, hey, we're on a date. And our objective is to see what your objective is and how far you want to take this and what are your intentions with me. But when you're in like, you know, a house party, it's like, yo, we're all just here having a good time, okay. you know, having a few drinks, playing some board games. So that's the setting that I prefer now. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been fascinating for me. It's, it's cause I'm not, I'm not, it'll be, I'm interested to see like what set of characteristics am I going to be attracted to in the next girl that crosses my path? So yeah, I, I'm pretty open. Um, and, and I don't know, it's an interesting journey. I'm not, I'm not overly pursuing a relationship. Like if it happens, if a girl crosses my path and we have that chemistry, then great, let's explore it. But especially, you know, with being a pandemic, uh, quarantine and pandemic, I don't see a need for yeah. to go out there and really try and force a relationship right now. I'm really enjoying this space of just kind of not having any strings attached. And it gives it takes a little pressure off of me just to be a little bit more of myself. Man, that was heavy. I, how did you mean that? Did you mean heavy <laughs> as uh, it was good, I, bro. It was good, bro. <laughs> You see how that feels? Yeah, that heavy do. don't hit right. I do. know. I saw. I saw it in your eyes. I was like, "You gonna hit me with that same heavy word?" I was like, "Damn, how is Freddie perceiving what I'm saying? All this judgment. You're right. I deserve that. I deserve that." It was good though. I liked it. Liked it. Cool. Cool. Does that answer your question, Benny? It, it, it did, man. It cool. did. Like I said, I just wanted your 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 perspective on the dating in California. You know. I, uh, can Love I give you, relationships. Can I, yeah. can I give you my perspective when I first came out here? Please. Really quick. Please. Tell me, tell me, tell me. <laughs> so, so, so what I perceived extremely quick for people who are transplants into California, right? The native guys from California are so spoiled that California girls are tired of them because they all have so many mm-hmm. options. And so when you come in and you're a Southern gentleman, or you're not damaged goods yet, right? Because you haven't had your pick of the litter and realized that these girls are so blended out here. Like this one looks like that one and that one looks like that one. And like, you kind of get, you kind of get a little spoiled, right? They try to gobble guys with trans in California because of the fact that they, they don't, California girls aren't really fans of California guys. Interesting. Interesting. I didn't know that until I had a bunch of girls tell me that. And my wife told me I was this close to being damaged. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I was very, cl- I was very close to being damaged. She told me that too. She was like, you, you was like a couple of months off from being lost. Ooh, and I was wow. like, yeah, I was very Ooh. close. Wow. Yeah, that is interesting though, because I mean, I have heard that there's like a uh, what they call, I guess, Peter Pan syndrome, and it's basically the guys that just kind of, you know, float around from girl to girl, you know, without really needing anything of of substance. And so they just, they're just forever living in this, this like teenage year phase of just like, Oh, whatever. It's fine. I can, yeah, find, they, I can find next. Yeah. It's like borderline. The women think that they're disrespectful. Like they're like, they don't care because they're like, it's whatever. Right. Like if, like you said, it's kind of like the dating app, right? So you have so many options that, okay, if it doesn't work out, I'll just move on. I wasn't committing anyway. Right. Why would I? Cause out here, Benny, like the age to settle down is, post 30 like if you're under 30 people look at you like why are you settling down like why are you choosing to to lock yourself down that's not that's not the case in in the south no you're coming from the south you're like i'm 26 i'm about ready to settle down it's like yeah come over here Come get right. this, right? Right, right. The girls yeah. out here looking for that level. Oh, they're ready to settle. And girls out in California are ready to settle down, but they want to settle down with somebody that, like, when we come over here, we're like, wants to love. settle down too. We're like falling in love. We're like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> like, can I marry you today, girl? God. Right. And, like, they're like, really? You, I'm that amazing? And it was just like, I've never seen a girl that look, and you know it, right? You know it. When you went to college, every dude knew the girl from New York and California. They just stood out like a sore thumb, right? Where you from? California. I knew it, right? Like, that was the girl. Yeah. That was the girl every dude in college was in love with. Yeah. The, uh, the, I mean, you know, I, I hate to say it, you know, the, the California girls hit different, you know, they, <laughs> it's a different person. It's, it's a different personality. It's a different it's, personality. It's a different personality. And, and, but here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say about that. Um, uh-huh. Because it's like here out here, the girls there's, because there are so many unique personalities out here that it's like the girls are, you feel you you feel it that the girls are constantly competing against one another and so they're they're they have okay. to it's like they it feels like they have more more layers to get through until you get to the real facts facts um you know they're more concerned out here with with the aesthetics you know um even if they it doesn't mean that they're they're dressing to the nines all the time but they're thinking about aesthetics more frequently so it means you have it takes longer to get to that to to the core to the heart to the heart of it. But like, for instance, the Southern Bells, you know, it's just a little more comfortable down there. It's a little more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, it's not it's not so much about the aesthetics out yep. in the South. It's about um, it's about just being a little more real, and, and you know, it feels a little more friendly uh, as far as like how women are how accepting women are of men approaching them. Out. Yeah. And at least that's my perspective of, of what the difference is between yeah. women in the South versus out here. You always think the grass is green on the other side. Yeah. 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 There's just as many issues with the guys and girls over here as there is over there. For sure. As a whole. It's just, again, like it's what you're really willing to tolerate. And yeah. and that, I mean, that's, that's what it is. Like, and Mike nailed it. Like they're just different personalities, different yeah. challenges. Different personalities, different set of challenges, for sure. Uh, well, you know that was 
That was good. That was that good. That sounds like one of our normal conversations. Every it does. Yeah. That's exactly what yeah. this was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a normal conversation. That's what, that's what I like doing yeah. here. Uh, and I'd like to give a shout out to, to both of you guys, Freddie and Benny. And Freddie said that he wasn't going to say anything at all. And I actually got him to talk quite a bit. That's because by the time <laughs> Benny got his mic working, I was like three wines in. <laughs> and it just went the wrong way. Right. That's all we got yeah, to do for next time. Say, Mike, you're going to have to chop this up, man. You got to chop this one up. And, and, and this, man, this about what, eight episodes, man. Be, you know, I don't have those technical <laughs> skills yet to chop it up, so I'm just about to put out this uh, this whole long thing right now. Maybe I can put in those markers that says, well, Freddie, Benny, and Mike talk about, you know, Troy at okay, okay. 15. Okay. I don't have that software yet. Okay. I'm Mark, just letting you know, maybe Mark, at some point in the future. Mark 45, Mike, and uh, Freddie, and Benny just go head to head. Like, what you mean? <laughs> What's going on? I don't know. I'm just saying, I'm going to be the first one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm not gonna lie. I swore up and down it was gonna be you, Mike, because that was always the thing. Like it was what? always me and you disagreeing on stuff, right? True. As a whole. But like yep. Benny yep. does throw his yep. he, he was down on the other end. So I get it. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> the other end of the line. Yeah, let people know. We're talking well, about the other end of the line. We won't get into Yeah, well, because you know, like I said, we you know I let man. My boy been in Cali too long, man. You know, that, that's, right, what I was, you know that's what I was feeling. Look, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm, my, again, we talked about ego. I'm not against saying maybe I'd, it, it, it's a fear. It is a definitely, it's an acknowledgement. It's an awareness. It's, it's a survival tactic. I, I have to be aware of it so that I can maybe fix it. I don't know. I have no that's, idea. That's we why we came on. That. That's 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 why I came on Mike's podcast. So I can get all the vulnerabilities out. Yeah, yeah. All about the vulnerabilities. There's so much strength and vulnerability. That's the <laughs> that's the key. There's so much strength and vulnerability. I think there's a lack of people who are willing to say, like, I'm a dad, I'm scared, right? Or I fear for anything happening or my perspective on life changed. I cared about this and now I don't care about it anymore. Is that, does that change people's perspective of me? You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I get that I ride the line on certain things. And, and, and like, I mean, even when you start making a certain amount of money, you feel less democratic, even though socially right. you agree with everything in it, but like your personal situation yep. has you riding that line, but you don't want to claim I'm a Republican you know, I'm, I'm this, you know what I'm saying? Like you're, you're more like, I'm independent now, you know, I, I, yep. I want to keep some of my money like right. <laughs> as a whole. Right. Like, yeah. and, and it's, it gets uncomfortable because again, people knew me as one thing when I was a kid, then they knew me as one thing when I was in college. And now I'm a completely different yeah. person with more responsibilities. And I can see that I'm growing, but everybody yeah. might not agree with the direction I'm growing in. Right. Cause again, I'm out here in Cali. It's a bubble. Yeah. It is a bubble here. It's, it's a bubble here. It is a bubble. If you and Benny, like that's always been our, that's always been our relationship as a, as a, as a line, we ch like, we at least check each other. Like, you get what I'm saying? Like, that's why it's, it's never a disagreement. It's like, you should, like, bro, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm like, okay, why do you disagree with me? And we've never gotten to the yeah. point where it's been like, we've allowed another brother go too far left, too far right. We've always just asked them the question, have you considered this? 
You know what I'm saying? Or at least this guy who has the podcast starts it all the time and makes sure that we're thinking about it from a, a perspective of well thought out yeah. angles. Hey, you know, you got to think yeah. about all the angles. That's where the value is. You know, you right. just got to think about them. That's all. Yeah. That's right. All. <laughs> maybe maybe the next time we're on a podcast, I, something else will happen and then I'll lean more to the left and more to the right. But right now I'm still in that that. <laughs> that I'm still yeah, in that I no man's you. land ranch. Because again, I'm not telling I you, I just you. say, I just don't know, bro. Like I I don't know what the answers are. I'm I'm as clueless. I'm more clueless now than I've ever been in my life because everything I have now I've never had. Mm-hmm. Understood. That's Understood. real. That's real. Hmm. Well, guys, uh I definitely I appreciate that because you didn't say that's heavy. <laughs> Do I- no, <laughs> whatever I say is heavy, it's always good. Whichever way you want to take the heavy, it's always good. Hey. But yes, that, that, that is, <laughs> that is, you're right. I will work on that. I will work on explaining, elaborating on whatever. You need t-shirts. You need t-shirts. That's heavy? Heavy. That's heavy. <laughs> well, guys, I do. I, I like really it. appreciate yeah, you yeah. guys. It's, uh, it's been a while since I've seen both of your faces in the same place, even though it's virtual. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's just great. It, it's awesome. Love chatting up. We, let's make sure we keep in contact more often. Uh, and uh, y'all, hey, really appreciate y'all. A5806. Yes, and, uh, you know, enjoy the rest of y'all evening. I look forward six. to part two. All right, fellas. All right. See y'all later. All right. All right, bro. I'll let y'all. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs>